I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. And I'm Harvinder Vadva. We're the hosts of Inappropriate Questions, and we're back with Season 3. With some fantastic guests, we break down questions like... Is asking where are you from appropriate small talk? Is it okay to ask a co-worker how much do you make? Should you ask a polyamorous person, do you get jealous? Inappropriate Questions Season 3. Available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Blackheart. There's a critical shortage of frontline nurses in Canada, causing ERs to be closed for hours and even days, long waits for elective surgery, and other disruptions. Increasingly, the provinces are turning to India and the Philippines to recruit nurses as fast as they can. White Coat producer Stephanie Dubois traveled to Manila for an up-close look at a growing dependency on the Philippines for younger and younger nurses. Here's a sample. We posted advertisements. We invited applicants to come over here for us to assess them and, of course, to evaluate them if they will be matched with the requirements of the Manitoba government. It's a very success campaign because they got to select over 300 Filipino nurses That pipeline is a short-term fix with some pretty broad implications for Canada. Tracy Zambori knows all about that. She was a frontline registered nurse in long-term care for 27 years. Today, she's president of the Saskatchewan Union of Nurses. She has spoken publicly and forcefully about burnout and the flight of nurses from the profession. Tracy Zambori, welcome to White Coat Blackheart. Happy to be here. You were working as a frontline nurse when the first cohort of Filipino nurses came to Saskatchewan in 2009. What was it like working with those new recruits and integrating them into the healthcare system in Saskatchewan? Well, it was it was actually very difficult. And I'm saying that because we had zero idea of what was going to be put in front of us. We had no idea really what the true skill level of, of uh, these two young men were going to be. We had no idea what was expected of us as registered nurses because we were we were in this mess because we were extremely short staffed. So we were finding ourselves having to carry this um, person along, plus do all of the work that we were assigned to do for the 30 residents that we have in our long-term care facility here in my tiny little prairie town. So it was uh, it was actually really scary off the start. Were you paid to do that? Well, no, just we just got our regular hourly wage. So how much more difficult did it make it for you to perform your regular frontline duties while mentoring these new recruits at the same time? Well, every day was different. Uh, some days it was quite difficult. But we were dealing with two young men who were very intuitive, very smart. I mean, they were coming with the highest education they could have as registered nurses from the Philippines. So it wasn't like we were working with people who had no knowledge of anything. And they were willing to learn two very smart young men who we were able to to help along the way. But it was absolutely an added burden. No two ways about it. We had no extra help come in to, to buffer anything. Janice and I had to bear the weight because when you're there as the registered nurse in this particular long-term care facility, and frankly, probably anyone across Canada, if you're the registered nurse there, you're in charge of everything. You're in charge of, you know, the doctor coming, all the orders. You're in charge of intake output. You're in charge of the kitchen, housekeeping, uh, staffing, scheduling, everything. So to try to teach someone plus do all these other duties at the same time, 
it was a lot. It was an incredible amount. And I don't think I can say enough that we, we were very, very poorly prepared to do it. So that was 2009. We're now in 2023. Has anything changed since then to help these nurses integrate? Well, the biggest change that I see is that we have a very vibrant, very solid Filipino cohorts in all of, all of our nursing world across this country. And that's, that's what we have now. And we also have vibrant Filipino communities. All this said, we're so grateful that these registered nurses from the Philippines decided to call Saskatchewan their home. We needed them. There's no two ways about that. It was the process and how they got here and what we were expected to do to help them become successful that really was very poorly thought out. Like other provinces, Saskatchewan has gone back to the Philippines to recruit more nurses, in some cases a lot more nurses, because there's a bigger crisis today than there was back then, and there was a crisis back then. And I want to ask you, Tracy, how prepared are these more recently recruited nurses, do you think, to step in and do the things that are necessary to perform those frontline clinical duties in Saskatchewan? So we're not totally sure what's happening, just exactly how many are coming. We think there's 79 that have actually, that's the last number I heard, that have actually signed a contract that they are they are absolutely coming over. Our big fear now, though, in Saskatchewan is because we are in such a, a registered nursing shortage and it is the mid to late career nurses who aren't haven't had any support and are choosing to find their, themselves out of the system because it is in such chaos that we're going to bring these people who have, you know, so kindly chosen Saskatchewan as their place, they're not going to have the mentorship or the preceptorship that we were able to offer in a much bigger way in, uh, you know, two decades ago, practically now, than we are today. And from what we've been led to believe, these people are going to be going to rural and remote. Some of the biggest areas with the least amount of mid to late career registered nurses, these are the places that they're closing emergency rooms or going on bypass because they don't have the staff to be able to keep it open. So what are we doing to these people who are going to give up their lives in their home country, give up their language, come to Saskatchewan? Are we setting them up for failure just in a different way than what we did in 2009? We're very fearful that they're not going to have the support they require to be successful so they feel they can practice safely and that they can give safe patient care. It, it's, it's so absurd what's going on. So just so that I understand it, Tracy, you're saying that the kind of mentors, the kind of late career nurses, frontline nurses who acted as mentors in 2009 are not as available. A lot of them have left the profession or left the province or both. And, and so who is supposed to mentor uh, these new, these 79 new uh, nursing recruits from the Philippines? Well, that's the $64 million question. We're not sure. Because there aren't the people there that, that, that need to be there to help these people become successful. And even if there is a registered nurse there, they are so incredibly short-staffed, way worse than what we were before. How are they possibly going to be able to give this person the preceptorship and the mentorship they require? When our producer, Stephanie Dubois, went to the Philippines, she found out that in the Philippines, 
they are allowing nurses with less experience, less clinical experience, who are younger and less experienced to come to other countries, including Canada. How concerned are you about that? Well, I think that's a huge red flag. It's really, it borders on insanity when we are doing this to people. We are putting them into a position where their whole lives could be tragically changed because in Saskatchewan, and I would dare say the rest of the country, we've chosen to ignore the fact that we are in such a health human resource crisis. We've chosen to ignore it. It's not the fault of our internationally educated nurses that are coming here, that they're not going to get what they need. With that land solely at the feet of the governments across this country. You mentioned tragic consequences for some of these nurses coming to work in Saskatchewan and rural and remote areas. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean that we're putting people in untenable situations where there could be there could be harm that they can't reverse because they don't have the expertise, they don't have the background, and they don't have the mentorship and perceptorship to be told, okay, no, this is you, we need to help you through this situation. Or we have scenarios that have set up that are set up where people are coming and there's such pressure on them from their home country whether it's the Philippines or India or wherever to be able to succeed because the idea is is that perhaps maybe the whole family can come but when you're when you're the person that's gotten out of a situation gotten to a place where you're hoping to build a you know a bigger better life perhaps and you fail at it and you've had all the pressure of your entire family and your home country on you I can tell you the outcome for that. The outcome for that, which we experienced here in Saskatchewan with our first set of cohorts, is the person committed suicide. Hmm. I will never forget that my entire life because the pressure put on that individual and we set them up to fail. We don't think we are, but we are. Could there be tragic consequences for patients? Well, absolutely there could. That, That doesn't even take a whole lot of of thought if we actually sat down and thought someone's going to come in who has now not all that much experience they have the education but not the experience and we're putting them into a situation where they don't have the depth and breadth to manage they don't have the right amount of mentorship or perceptorship and they're being put into a in a pressure cooker situation Healthcare in Saskatchewan is nothing short of a pressure cooker and it doesn't matter where you go. We have people with uncontrolled addictions and mental health issues. We have people with uncontrolled chronic illness. We have a very huge physician shortage. So it means that people aren't even able to get regular physician care. They don't have a physician. So they're coming to get their care at the emergency room. Chronic illness has gone bananas because they don't have the ability to control it. There isn't enough people in home care to manage. People are being discharged from the hospital far earlier than what they should. It's a whole perfect storm of disaster. And now we're going to bring in another potential layer. And yet this is uh, apparently the second time that Saskatchewan has made a trip to the Philippines in the past year. So troop trips in the past year. Why do you think the provinces keep going back to the well? because it's the easiest thing for them to do. If they actually had to sit down and face the reality of what was going in, happening in in the workplaces, and they actually had to do something about it, therein lies the rub. As, you know, the president of Sun, I have had multiple meetings with Premier Mo, multiple meetings with 
Minister Merriman, Minister Hindley. We need a nursing task force in Saskatchewan. Nursing task force would talk about what is going on here. We need to talk to the people that actually do the job because that's a big problem, Brian. We've not had one conversation, a meaningful conversation, to speak with the people who are working today and are saying, my God, this is a nightmare. You know, we haven't talked to the people who are leaving. We haven't talked to the people who have reverted to casual and are now working in an agency. The Saskatchewan government is hanging its hat 100% on the internationally educated nurses. Imagine the pressure these people don't even know they're going to be under when they get here. They are expected to be the savior of this healthcare system, when in fact, it should be part of a three-legged stool. Internationally educated recruitment needs to be the long-term plan. The short-term plan needs to be that we go in and we speak with the registered nurses that actually do the job and give them the respect they deserve. So you say that uh, the provinces should be listening to frontline nurses, that there should be a task force, but, but what actions are necessary? Is it a pay raise? Is it changing working conditions? What is it? Well, the what is it has to come from the people who do the job. We have to hear what they have to tell us. They will guide us on what needs to happen. But you're a union head. What are they telling you? The registered nurses of this province are telling me that they feel burnt out, disrespected, unheard, and devalued. That's what they're telling me. And they are getting more and more frustrated and disappointed when they see that, that nothing is changing. That these big announcements come with, you know, all these numbers attached of the international recruitment that Saskatchewan is doing. But they don't feel like there's nothing that's going to happen that's going to help them in the short term. We've been talking about nurses and the system for the most part. How concerned should the public be about this? The public should be very concerned. Uh, very, very concerned. They need to be talking with their members of the Legislative Assembly, with their, with their, government, their provincial governments, and asking them, what is your plan? What are you doing here? I want some honesty and some transparency. Is that's, that is a huge issue here. What exactly are we doing? I mean, we, we have to maintain our, our system. We have to have a publicly funded, publicly administered healthcare system in this province that is robust. And that means that there needs to be a safe amount of registered nurses because we are the gatekeepers in the healthcare. We are the largest group of, of care providers that touch people that come into the system. We touch them at every corner of every province of every facility unit agency across this country. And when we're, when we're in shortage and we're, and we're, you know, ringing the bell that we've got a problem, the public needs to then pick up that and take it to, to their governments and say, what is going on here? Our registered nurses are crying and saying there, we are in a big trouble here. And what is it that you're going to do to fix that? Tracy Zambori, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you, Brian. Tracy Zambori is a registered nurse and president of the Saskatchewan Union of Nurses. We reached out to the Saskatchewan Health Authority for comment about the nurses they're recruiting. They said that everyone who applies for jobs must meet the requirements for licensing through the College of Registered Nurses of Saskatchewan. The province has also started a new 14-week bridging program that it says will help internationally trained nurses integrate into the workplace. We'll be right back. Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. 
And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. This week, we're looking at the implications of Canada's growing dependence on the Philippines to make up for a huge shortfall of nurses here. So far, we've looked at the impact of the migration of nurses from the Philippines on healthcare and nursing in Canada. But the mass exodus of trained nurses from the Philippines is having a cataclysmic impact on healthcare over there. Waco producer Stephanie Dubois traveled to the Philippines on a Travers Fellowship to document that impact. And she's joined me in the studio. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Brian. You could have done that story from here, but you went to the Philippines. What made you want to travel there to see for yourself? Yeah, you know, we see these press conferences with Canadian politicians who say that they're hiring X number of nurses from the Philippines to help our healthcare system. But I wanted to see what happens in the Philippines when these nurses leave, specifically what happens to the local hospitals and to the nurses left behind. Because I know that there may be some people saying, well, you know, the number of nurses coming to Canada isn't that big, but we're not the only ones recruiting. I checked and more than 20 countries have recruited nurses from the Philippines in the last three years. And we know that the mass exodus of nurses is hurting the Philippines because so many of their nurses leave. The Philippines is short about 350,000 nurses. A health official there says it will take 12 years to fill all of those vacancies. 12 years, that's a, that's a long time. Yeah, it's a long time, Stephanie. And 350,000 nurses is really a staggering number Dude. that, uh, you know, I, I couldn't imagine Canada being short 350,000 nurses. Yeah. So, so you went there. What does that shortage actually look like on the ground? Yeah, so I want to share one example. I went to a hospital in an area outside of Manila called Bulacan. I toured uh, Hospital Neng San Jose del Monte, a government hospital that is very busy. And when I met with the hospital's director, Dr. Urbe Bugay, he says they're in need of more beds for patients. And they have this brand new ward, but they can't use it right now because they don't have enough nurses. Even if we have uh, positions for the nurses, we are hiring at the social, we are social media through the Facebook. There's no one applying, even if it is a, a higher salary compared to a private hospital. So, Stephanie, I'm assuming that uh, they can't open that ward because uh, they can't find nurses to work there because they'd rather work abroad. Yeah, that's right. You know, the salary abroad is much higher than anything local hospitals can offer. And Dr. Bugai explained to me that the trend has always been that nurses don't stay too long at the local hospital level. Generally, newly graduated nurses would stay for two to three years, get some experience before moving on. So the hospital directors at least could bank on having that staff for a few years, but not anymore. Because many countries like Canada saw a lot of nurses leave the industry during the pandemic, the demand for even those new grads is really intense now. If those uh, newly graduate nurses would want to go to our hospital, for example, and get two years experience, at least 
we have additional nurses every two years that going to the hospitals, you know, private hospital. But right now, I will, why would I go to your hospital? Why would I? I don't need experience. You know? So immediately, I would go to other countries just to get hired. And those recruitment strategy is working for, for them, for, the, for those countries, but not working for us. You know, he says they now have to compete against foreign countries to hire nurses. But ultimately, you know, it's not a competition because he says they can't match the salary nurses can earn abroad. So let me see if I've got this straight. When they do finally hire nurses, are they basically molding them for other countries? Now, that was one of the most important points that you talked about on our show last week. Mm -hmm. Filipino expats send cash back home. And, you know, if you add up all of the money of all the expats who are sending money back to the Philippines, that would account for my jaw dropped when it was said on the show, 10% of the Philippines uh, gross domestic product GDP would be accounted for by, by that amount of money is staggering. Yeah, it's it's huge amount, you know, and, and I heard this from nurses in a particular area of the country um, when I went to the province of Leyte and I met with Ruby Grace Pakolar. She's the chief nurse at Christ the Healer, a small private hospital, and she's usually the one hiring and training those new nurses who eventually go abroad. We mold them here. We train them and hopefully they develop their skills before they're going somewhere they wanted to. Yeah, that must, be, that must be hard, though, training those nurses, knowing that they're going to leave after two years. Yes, it's, it's hard, but we have to accept it. You know, Stephanie, I can't imagine anything more futile than, than training nurses knowing that they're going to be leaving after two years. What does this struggle to hire locally do to the nurses left behind and to the patients that are supposed to be looked after by those nurses. Yeah, so one of the effects of the nursing shortage there is many nurses are working with higher patient-to-nurse ratios than they're supposed to. It depends on the unit, but the country's health department says the ratio should be one nurse for every 12 patients for general care. But so many nurses told me it's much higher than that, and that they're dealing with more complex patients, so the ratio should be lower. When I met with ER nurse Ronald Ritchie Nacio, he had just finished a night shift and looked utterly exhausted. You know, he was making coffee as I was talking to him. And he says in his eight hour shift, he was caring for 20 patients. Many of those, wow. yeah, you know, many of those needing acute care. And I don't need to tell you, Brian, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a lot of patients to care for in that eight hour shift. Too many. Yeah. And he has to care for more patients because they're so short on nurses. So much so that they had to close down five wards in his hospital, which would have held around 90 patients. We have to turn down patients because of lack of uh, nurses, lack of rooms. Uh, There are patients uh, at the ER, they they have to uh, stay at the ER for two to three days because uh, we cannot bring them up to the the wards because uh, there are not enough nurses to cater to them. Burnout, overworked were common words I heard from nurses. You know, the working conditions are not great and it's a lot for them to handle. So you've described really a a catastrophic situation uh, in the Philippines. What Mm -hmm. can be done, if anything, there to keep their nurses? You know, most of the Filipinos I spoke to for the story say they can't and shouldn't stop nurses from leaving. You know, they have their own free will and it should be up to them to decide. And many of the Filipinos I spoke to understand why these nurses want to leave. Though association heads say the Philippines has got to do better to keep their nurses, even if it's only for a few years before they leave for abroad. 
Jocelyn Adamo is a secretary general at Filipino Nurses United, a union representing both private and public hospital nurses. And she thinks that they can keep some of their nurses if the Philippines government puts some money behind it. We believe that if there is better work conditions and better pay, we can encourage more nurses to work as nurses in the country. And it would not take uh, that long. So Canada is dependent on nurses from the Philippines. The process stops. They can no longer recruit nurses from the Philippines. So what do they do next? Do they go to other places like India? Yeah, n- not quite. I mean, I, I don't think we should just move from one country to another if the taps shut off in the Philippines, so to speak. You know, we've heard what happens to a lower income country when a richer one comes in to take its workers. It, it creates this competition that the host country just can't compete with. And on top of all of that, you know, I think we're seeing increasing pressure on provincial governments here to fix the issues in our healthcare system first before bringing in nurses from other countries. But, uh, you know, call me a cynic, Stephanie, but I, I see the provinces doing exactly that, just finding another country and hoping that the uh, the new recruits from that country are, are, are up to uh, sufficiently high standards that they can just uh, be moved into Canada's healthcare system. Do you disagree? You know, I think that definitely could be an option, but I just, I really do believe that we're just hearing too much from hospital directors, you know, nurses, doctors across Canada that really are pushing for a healthcare system change that needs to happen sooner rather than later. And, um, you know, I think there's no denying that Filipino nurses are hugely important to Canadian healthcare, and we need internationally trained nurses to come and work in our hospitals and clinics. And I think these recruitment trips can get nurses working in Canada and maybe filling some of those vacancies. But what I hear is that we need to keep the nurses in the system and make sure that they're paid well and working conditions are good. Otherwise, we'll be stuck in this pattern and looking abroad for nurses whenever we're short-staffed. And you know what, uh, Stephanie, your deep dive into the pipeline coming from one country, the Philippines, uh, is the first step at informing the public and, and making sure they're aware that this is not just, you know, something that you read in the back pages of the newspaper or here as a, as a small uh, item on, on, on the news. We've yeah. recruited so many X numbers of nurses. There are huge implications in this country and there's huge implications in the country of origin. You know, uh, I have to say that, that as host of the show, one of my privileges is that I get to do most of the traveling, but it was a pleasure this time to, for, for you to bring the story to us. Uh, you know, to travel halfway around the world uh, to tell a story that that has tremendous implications for our healthcare system, and I want to thank you, Stephanie Dubois, for for bringing it to us. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. I, I'm glad that you enjoyed it, and I hope our audience does too. I I really enjoyed seeing the Philippines healthcare system in action, and you know, taking the story out of Canada and into the Philippines. And of course, you know, a big thank you to the Filipinos who shared their stories and time with me. And we will continue to follow the migration of nurses to Canada from other countries and what that means for healthcare here. That's our show this week. If you'd like to comment, our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. We'd especially like to hear from nurses who have come to Canada from the Philippines. White Coat Black Art was produced this week by Stephanie Dubois with help from Amina Zoffer. Stephanie's trip to the Philippines was supported by the 2023 R. James Travers Foreign Corresponding Fellowship through Carleton University. Our digital producer is Ruby Buiza, and our senior producer is Colleen Ross. Special thanks this week to Gil Ramos, Jason Pajarillo, and Rodney Ramos. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.